I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Joel Furman, leading nutritional researcher, president of the Nutritional Research Foundation, and member of the Dr. Oz Show Advisory Board. Dr. Furman is the author of 12 books, including Eat to Live, and his most recent, Fast Food Genocide, How Processed Food is Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. His Eat to Live program and Nutritarian philosophy have helped millions of people to conquer disease and live healthy, active lives. You can learn more about Dr. Furman and his work at drfurman.com. So welcome, Joel. Thank you for talking today. My pleasure. You and I had a conversation the other day when we were talking about doing podcasts, and one of your biggest upsets in life is that we have a depressed society, depression is on the rise, and much of it is rooted in the food that we're eating. So give me that background stat. Let's start there. Right. What I'm saying is that depression is primarily biochemical and not situational. People don't get depressed because of the hardships in their lives. They mostly get depressed from the biochemical insufficiencies in their brains. And so let's just discuss this for a little bit because 100 years ago, it was one in 100 Americans that were mentally ill. And today it's one in five Americans are mentally ill. So we have an explosion in mental illness, especially depression, and this explosion has increased even in the last five years in America. So are more these people are becoming. Are these know. biochemical issues genetic? Were people born with sensitivities in those areas, or are you saying that they were? We'll call it everyone was born quote unquote normal, and it's something that developed uh, an imbalance developed as they grew. That's correct. What I'm saying is that. Most of the diseases that afflict human beings in our, in our modern society have some genetic overtone. But if you eat right, you don't get high blood pressure. You have to eat wrong to get high blood pressure, regardless if your genetics make you more prone to getting it on an unhealthy diet. If you smoke cigarettes, you may have an increased genetic propensity for lung cancer than another person smoking cigarettes. But if you don't smoke, you're not going to get lung cancer. So what I'm saying right now is genetics play a relatively minor role in the contribution, but when you live an unhealthy lifestyle and eat the American diet, then your genetic weaknesses have the opportunity to be expressed. And because the American diet is so disease promoting, because, the, because it has so few of the nutrients that are designed that humans are supposed to be eating. You know, we're designed to being function on a you know, a whole list of minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants. Every strawberry has a 700 different nutrients in it. Every piece of broccoli has probably a thousand different nutrients in it. So it's not just the 30 that are in your vitamin pill. Our body is dependent on getting a full symphony orchestra of nutrients from colorful plant foods. And if we don't, we then develop disease. So we're talking about the fact that depression is, is not just fatty acid imbalances, even though it can be. It's not just individual nutrient deficiencies or genetic predisposition, which could be a, a factor. It's not just sunlight, not exposed to sunlight, which also could be a factor for people who, are, who have difficulty with you know, seasonal affective disorders as a contributory factor. But mostly, mostly, it's the brain cells not functioning well, not communicating well because of antioxidant phytochemical deficiencies that are found in colorful plants. And when you eat a diet that's full of processed foods, because recognize that processed foods like bagels and pizza and soda and, you know, and corn muffins and whatever people are eating 
do not contain a significant load of micronutrients like antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals, which are there are thousands of. And animal products don't contain phytochemicals and antioxidants either. The 5% of colorful plant foods Americans eat and replace everybody at risk of depression. And then you build up metabolic waste products in the body. When you don't take in enough of these phytochemical and phytonutrient-rich foods, you build up more advanced glycation end products and more ammonia and uric acid. And you know we're, we're talking about all types of free radicals and things the body has to remove. And, the, and there's a lot of, um, how should I say, mechanisms via which brain cells are negatively affected. The problem here is that people understand that eating badly can cause cancer and eating badly can cause heart disease and diabetes and obesity, but they don't, for some reason, make the connection that eating badly affects the brain just as much as it affects your heart and your kidney and your liver and your blood vessels. The brain is very sensitive and has a huge need for phytochemicals and antioxidants to keep its health. So why do people think the brain's not gonna be equally damaged when you damage the rest of your body with food? So people become depressed instead of trying to change their diet, they go to a doctor and take a drug and their diet doesn't change. It's like they're completely separated from the idea that what they're eating is causing their brain difficulties. We're talking here about depression, mental fog, and I think what you were kind of um, leading towards the beginning were these recent studies that came out, which I discussed in my recent book, Fast Food Genocide. I discussed the studies that show the link between fast food and processed food and commercial baked goods with major depression. And the fact that people who eat them two or more servings per week, that's just one croissant and one piece of pizza a week or one cookie and one Danish a week or one, just two servings a week of, you know, it double a person's risk of developing depression. Even moderate amount of commercial bakers, we're talking about white flour, sugar, and, and you know, French fries or pizza, even two servings a week doubles your risk of depression, even a small amount. You know what the data shows that even one serving a week of commercial French fries, just one serving a week, increases your risk of developing later life breast cancer by 26%. So even moderate use of these nearly poisonous foods are, are risky. So at the risk of getting too scientific, what's, what's it doing? Is eating these these inflammatory or inflammatory foods, apologies, inflammatory foods suppressing the, our ability to produce the endorphins and the feel-good hormones? Is it, what, what's happening in our body when we're eating these bad foods and not eating the good foods without being a huge biochemistry lesson? Right, uh, well, how many, okay, I'll talk for a few minutes on that. It's a, a, an interaction of a combination of biological and neuro issues that happen. I'm trying to but paint a picture for people to understand it because it's easy to say it happens and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. But I want them to call, get, a, get a, a vision of what's really going on in there and right. how Let's, with every bite they're impacting and limiting themselves. Right. Well, I'll simplify it a little bit. Number one, when foods rush into the bloodstream very rapidly, we call them a fast food because the calories flood the bloodstream like 20 to 30 or 20 to 40 calories a minute. When you eat a bean or even a fruit or a nut, the calories come in one or two calories a minute. But so we're talking about oils and sugars and white flour that enter the bloodstream very, very rapidly. That six, um, stimulates dopamine in the brain. And the chronic use of those foods make you become dopamine insensitive then you don't get, you don't, that you need looking for things to stimulate dopamine because it starts to lower your overall effect and, and, and start to cause a dysthymic syndrome, what I'm, which means 
you know, start to put a fog over your thinking, your clarity of thought. And dopamine is in general a feel-good hormone. Dopamine is a feel-good hormone, and you become non-responsive to it by chronic overstimulation with processed foods and commercial baked goods, number one. But the other issue here is that because of your taking in foods that don't have a, that are empty calories and contain some noxious substances, and they also promote excessive insulin response, there's a lot of factors going on simultaneously, but it, it makes our body build up metabolic waste products. And these metabolic waste products affect brain function. And they affect brain function the most when we stop imbibing in the harmful substance. In other words, if we're a cocaine addict, we feel not that depressed while we're taking the cocaine, but if we try to stop the cocaine and the body starts to eliminate the waste products that built up, and then you stop the cocaine and completely wiped out your dopamine stimulation, then you start to feel depressed, leading to substitution, leading to you wanna eat more sweets or you wanna eat more cocaine or you wanna do something. What I'm saying right now is that people's diet is so nutritionally barren that they start to feel shaky and weak and headachy and stomach cramping and fatigued when they no longer are digesting food. They have to go eat something that's not healthy to feel good again. A healthy person, by the way, who hasn't built up a level of those toxic metabolites doesn't feel shaky and weak and fatigued and partially depressed when they're not constantly putting food in their mouth. So what I'm saying right now is low nutrient eating leads to an unnatural and addictive relationship with food, forcing you to overeat calories and overconsume food, having to become overweight because you would, tr- and you can't diet because you can't cut back on calories willy nilly because you're getting even reducing nutrients and the cravings and emotional desire to eat more food are too powerful to resist. You have to focus on nutritional quality to get well. So what I'm saying here is that it is complicated, but I'm saying that that the fatigue is an addictive withdrawal from the poor diet, but, but a withdrawal depression happens each time a toxic chemical leaves the body. So most people only experience mild depression or mild lowering of mood. Some people, but some people are more seriously depressed just when they're trying to eat healthier. So they, they gotta keep the unhealthy foods coming in, they gotta keep the cocaine, the alcohol, the sweets coming in. The sweets become like, uh, and the processed foods that are fried in oil, like the fried foods, become like their drug of choice. So what I'm saying here is that even mildly depressed mood can trigger the use of food abuse or the abuse of alcohol or drugs. And there's a relationship between the consumption of sweets and candy and later life alcohol, drug abuse, and even criminal use of drugs. So the relationship between criminality and drug abuse is more, um, more robust with the consumption of candy and sweets in childhood than it is with social isolation, lack of parenting, and poverty. So we're talking here about um, these processed foods and fast foods being a major, playing a major impact in the development of um, drug abuse, brain changing chemicals to change the brain that predispose you to anger and lowers your intelligence, reduces your creativity, reduces, puts the fog over your life. So even people that don't become depressed from eating these junk foods still can't be the full person they could have been. They're still mildly depressed and have that fog affecting their decision-making and their behavior. Have there been studies that have looked at the dietary patterns overlaid with drug use and with criminality? That's fascinating. 
It is. It's fascinating. And those are the those are the kind of data I've described in my book, Fast Food Genocide. So people start to recognize the impact this has on society, the negative impact and the people that are in vulnerable situations living in inner cities where they don't have access to produce, eating mostly fast foods and, and convenience store foods are leading to not just more obesity and diabetes and higher rates of prostate cancer and kidney failure, but they also see more depression, more anger, more drug abuse and less ability to economically succeed in life. And it leads to big, bigotry. It leads, it's almost a form of prejudice because even we learn in medical school that black Americans are more, more predisposed to high blood pressure and prostate and breast cancer. And it's wrong, it's not true. I showed in the book that even after the, the, um, the slaves were freed after the Civil War, that the black Americans had more centenarians, more long-lived, they were achieving educational achievements, economic mobility. It wasn't until the Jim Crow laws and the, and the, and the anger and the, and the spread of pellagra in the South, driving people out of the South into the Northern cities where they couldn't have access to vegetables, when you started to see more diseases occur. And we show the same diseases occur, high risk of behaviors and increased propensity for illness occur in white and Caucasian populations eating bad diets as well. So we're all, much, we're all genetically more similar than we think, and it's all about getting the right food to protect our brain and to protect the American dream. So you said that, that when they grow up eating these foods that it's making some base biochemical changes in the brain. Is it overcomable? We talked in another podcast about being, over, being able to overcome disease states with food. If somebody makes a dietary change and starts working in your nutritarian diet philosophy and diet program, with high density, high nutri nutrient foods, can they get their brain back to normal? Normal, quote unquote. Thank you for that. And that's the, the other point is how do we just treat people who are in trouble with the nutritional deficiencies and tox a toxic diet? How do we just take a toxic drug as the only treatment on those people? You know what I'm saying? Well, this is the whole basis of medicine is that you throw a poison on top of the person who's already poisoned by a bad diet. It just is, you can't expect people to respond you know, favorably to just pouring more poisons in the body. And the first thing you learn in medical school is that drugs are toxic. And so the answer to your question is, yes, we have prison studies on people that are already in prison and we feed them better. We teach them how to organic garden and farm and they improve their mental clarity. They're, they get calmer, they get discharged from prison. We have less recidivism. They get back to being a better functioning citizens again because we gave them good nutrition and we trained them how to make grow their own food. We see the same kind of studies in schools, especially when we're looking at schools with kids that are behaviorally challenged in special schools. And we show that we've shown that we that these children do better and their intelligence is increased. And we have a lot of studies showing more fruits and vegetables increases intelligence in children and increases the better scores on standardized exams even. So we're talking about um, the idea that when we treat people with dysthymic syndrome or depression, their opportunity to get well is magnified a hundredfold when you address the cause and don't just give them drugs on top of their, you know, on top of their illness. The, the point we're making here is that, you know, that the, how should I say, the triad of treatment and these natural treatments work better then, you know, get a person well faster. We give them the right fatty acids for the brain. In other words, we make sure their EPA and DHA levels are adequate. We give them, we expose them to morning light so their melatonin serotonin axis is balanced now. 
And then we feed them the right high phytonutrient levels. So the brain starts to get the nutrients it needs for communication. And again, we lose the toxins and the high surges of dopamine stimulation that's, that weaken their brain to begin with. And then lastly, we can give them something natural if we need to, like, like um, you know, um, saffron or SAMI or, or 5-hydroxy tryptophan. We might give them something natural to help get them well faster. And what I'm saying right now is that this nat- these natural approaches to depression that are more consistent – with, the, with factors that are going to need for overall better health in general. Let them be healthier and feel better and lose weight and eat better. And then all this, these, be able to have these people to have a full, happy life again, not being hooked on drugs the rest of their life, thinking that's the only way to treat their depression. So let's talk about what the worst offenders are. And you referred to them in passing, a number of them, but let's just kind of lay them out a little bit. I think some of your biggest ones, um, sugar and artificial sweeteners, obviously, but say, say something about those. Well, that's correct. I would say that that sweeteners are probably the most and and white flour too, um, sweeteners and white flour because they're, you know, it's almost like I classify white flour and sugar as like a form of cocaine. You know, if, if you put it in your mouth and it's in your bloodstream within minutes, it floods the bloodstream so rapidly, and that surge of sugar into the bloodstream is damaging to brain cells. You um, you it's like toxic to brain cells, and that's why. Um, diabetics have more depression. In other words, when you're diabetes, you have more high blood sugars and it creates depression and it affects your intellect and it affects your decision-making and it affects your creativity. So, you know, we want to get rid of these people's diabetics and if they're a type one, we want to get them on the right diet and they shouldn't be just eating any amounts of processed foods and covering with insulin because the combination between high sugar and high insulin is damaging. But in any case, what I'm saying here is that, yes, I'm agreeing with you that sweeteners, even artificial sweeteners and sugar and white flour are probably the most offensive thing. But if we mix it with oil, then if we fry foods like you have a donut, which has sugar and the oil mixed together, then it even magnifies the, 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 the um, dangerous qualities of the food. You know, and we know how in the in the southern parts of the United States, we call it the stroke belt, where you have more brain damage and more depression because people are eating more fried foods. They fry everything down there, you know what I mean? And that's why, the, you know, we have a difference in, you know, it's funny how we look at differences of co- in countries, one country to another, where one country may have 150th, not 115th, but 150th the breast cancer of America because they eat more vegetables and they eat more, you know, they're eating differently, so they have less breast cancer. But when they're, they're, they people move to America, they, they think they, they develop the breast cancer we have here, showing it's not genetic, it's what the people are fed. But even within our own country, we see in some areas of the country have 10 times the risk of breast cancer than other areas of the country. Look at, for example, if we took um, middle Colorado, like Boulder, Colorado, and we, can't, we compared it to New Orleans, you'd see like, you know, five times the increased risk of stroke, 10 times the risk of breast cancer. We see, you know, in we Boulder see like mental differences just in our own country here about different types of um, disease um, risk factors from where you live and the foods you eat. Wait, which one has more stroke? Boulder? You always think of Boulder as being so healthy. That's what I've said. Boulder that's, has less. That's healthy. Boulder New Orleans is, is unhealthy. Because the southern parts of this country where yes. they're eating more fried foods, have, they're called the stroke belts, have more um, obviously higher risks of cancer and higher risk of stroke and early life heart attack. That's so true. how about natural sugars, what I'll call theoretically healthy sugars, honey, uh, maple syrup, coconut sugar that are all very trendy now as, as healthier, raw Guave nectar you could throw in there. Pardon? Aguave, agave nectar you can also throw in there. 
So are you, is it any kind of sweetener, anything that has a high glycemic index, you say bad? Almost just as bad. Almost just as bad. So we sweeten things. If I make a dessert, we use a medjool date or two diglet nor dates to sweeten it. When I'm making the banana, I'm making a pie, I can make a crust where there's some date in the crust, you know, pecans, coconut flakes, and some date mixed in there with some um, oatmeal and some dates, you know, and then, the, then they put the peaches, the apples, and the pie, maybe put some raisins or currants in there with a dollop of banana ice cream on top, maybe frozen bananas and macadamia nuts and a little bit of, and maybe a little bit of vanilla powder. I don't even need to add a date into that. It tastes good just from the fruits alone. There's a completely biological different effect when you consume a fruit versus when you consume the sweetener, like the honey or the maple syrup, because the lack of fiber, that it's the fiber that slows the absorption. And it's the fact that these fruits thicken the microbiome because they fuel the growth of bacteria that prevent the absorption of sugar from coming through. So it's, I'm oversimplifying, but I wanna make it clear that when we do the data to study the effects on the rate at which the, the sugar enters the bloodstream, it's completely different comparing eating a piece of fruit to eating something that's sweetened with a sweetener. And then how about dairy? You're not a fan of dairy either. No, I'm not a fan of dairy products because dairy products very powerfully raise IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor one. And there's no question and no controversy in the scientific literature that higher levels of IGF-1 increase risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer. So I'm saying it's well accepted by all the scientists, by almost every nutritional scientist in the world, that number one, high levels of IGF-1 lead to increased risk of cancer, and diets high in meat and dairy inevitably promote IGF-1 into cancer-causing levels. But also dairy for depression as well? Well, no, I'm not saying there's a lot of data on dairy promoting or doing anything positive or negative for depression. The main thing here, obviously, is eating a diet high in phytochemicals, especially greens, eating raw greens and onions, and also getting the fatty acids you need, like the omega-3s, and also getting a good symphony of phytochemical exposure. To do that, you have to eat more of these plant, protective plants and reduce animal products, but I don't think dairy is directly a cause of depression. Got it. Okay. So my misunderstanding. So the, so the, the core poisons, the core things to stay away from for, for food and mood are the white flowers and the sugars and the sweeteners. And then- And fried Pardon? And fried foods. And fried foods. And then to replace yeah. them again with a, with a healthy, rich, phytochemical-based diet that can help maximize the brain's ability to operate the way that it needs to. So do you have all this right. information? Right, plus we give them fatty acid supplements. And we give the person with depression to make sure their fatty acids, their omega-3 index is favorable. Okay. Is, are all the secrets to this in fast food genocide? Yes. All, this, all the information about mood in the brain, all the studies are in fast food genocide. That's correct. All right. Dr. Joel Furman, drfurman.com. Thank you so very much. Oh, my pleasure. I'm talking to Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and nutritional researcher who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. Our food choices can fuel both our health and our illnesses, and Dr. Furman's Eat to Live program and Nutritarian philosophy have helped millions of people to conquer disease and live healthy, active lives. He's just one of the thousands of experts featured in our newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Joel's wisdom regarding the power of food to heal, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including traveling safer and cheaper, 
finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, fitness routines for anybody at any age, and even travel to little-known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.